Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and it's brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On today's show, we're going to look at the gig economy, where wages and conditions are quickly eroding. We'll be joined by Daniel Victory over the phone, who is a senior associate at Morris Blackburn Lawyers. But first, some union news. Last year, the Fair Work Commission knocked back the Australian Council of Trade Unions proposal to provide a minimum of 10 days paid family domestic violence leave for all Australian workers. This week, the ACTU's executive met and they have committed to continue campaigning until every Australian worker has access to a minimum of 10 days paid family domestic violence leave. New analysis from the Centre for Future Work at the Australia Institute has found that the average cost of extending access to 10 days paid family and domestic violence leave across the workforce would average less than five cents per worker per day. Last year, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the ACCI, told the Fair Work Commission that the eventual costs to employers of granting just one day of paid domestic leave will be $205 million a year, as the entitlement spread from the award system across the enterprise agreements. At the time, the ACTU called out these estimates as pure fantasy. Jed Kearney, president of the ACTU, made in comments last week that the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry hyperinflated their estimates of the cost of paid family domestic violence leave by hundreds of millions of dollars. A shameful insult to workers facing this type of violence. The rules for work are broken, she says, and when making sure survivors of domestic and family violence can lead productive, happy lives is somehow considered less important than saving employers a few cents per day, then the rules need to change now. Community and public sector members in the Bureau of Meteorology have launched a three-week campaign of industrial action in their fight to secure a fair enterprise agreement. The action will include rolling strikes and restrictions on handling media inquiries. The action will not block the Bureau from continuing to provide critical forecasting services. The target of these strikes are at management, not the public, so the CPSU have gone to great lengths to ensure that the action only hits management. CPSU Deputy Secretary Beth Vincent-Peach said the Bureau of Meteorology staff have been forced into this situation by their bosses, bosses who continue to push for harsh and unreasonable cuts to the rights and conditions of workers. BOM staff have gone well over three years without a pay rise as this dispute is dragged on through no fault of their own. And despite it being such a long fight, they've made it clear that what management's pushing for is unacceptable and have twice voted and rejected this unacceptable enterprise agreement proposal. Now for a news update about the super union, the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, the Maritime Union of Australia and the Textile, Clothing and Footwear Union of Australia had commenced merger talks last year. It is now one step closer after formally lodging merger documents with the Fair Work Commission. 
Under the proposed structure, the MUA, the Maritime Union, would become the fourth division of the CFMEU, while the Textile Union would be part of the Manufacturing Division. The CFMEU National Secretary, Michael O'Connor, said that strength in numbers was important, while also respecting the cultures and histories of the unions involved. Now more than ever, he says, our members are suffering from years and years of corporate greed. Inequality in Australia has become entrenched. The rich and big business avoid tax and working people are forced to increasingly carry the burden. We need a new progressive union that will be fearless in fighting for the interests of working people. And our job is to build a more equitable Australia. We want to work together to ensure that we best represent our members to look after our industries, our families and our communities. The Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation, the ANMF, is calling on the aged care minister to stop a national aged care provider, Southern Cross Care, from carrying out wide-ranging nursing cuts and underpaying other workers at its aged care facilities. In Queensland alone, Southern Cross Care is proposing to slash more than 1,500 hours of care per fortnight at four of its nursing homes. In Tasmania, qualified carers' enterprise agreement hourly rates are only at $20.83, which is under the award. In South Australia, ANMF members employed at Southern Cross are also fighting against a reduction to staffing hours across five sites. The Federal Secretary of this union, Lee Thomas, said that the ANMF is horrified at the cuts to the work hours of registered enrolled nurses and assistants in nursing, which will dramatically impact the care being provided to older residents in the Southern Cross Care nursing homes. As we are all aware, she says, there is already a crisis in aged care. The AMMF knows that if these cuts to nursing hours are allowed to proceed, then the Southern Cross cannot guarantee the quality of resident care won't decline. If Southern Cross is in any way blaming its cuts to nursing care on the $1.2 billion reduction in federal funding, then the aged care minister, Ken Wyatt, must step in. Ms Thomas said that they will be supporting any action taken by members of the Queensland, the South Australian and the Tasmanian branches and will continue to campaign against cuts to nursing for the sake of residents and their families. A new report from the ASU, the Australian Services Union, shows that Australian women are retiring with around half as much superannuation as men and that the superannuation system is failing women. The report outlines some significant recommendations, including recommendations for tracking all superannuation balances in order to intervene for those who are falling behind an acceptable accumulation pathway. Such interventions could include government top-ups, tax relief, superannuation account fee deductions, and the inclusion of a superannuation component to family tax benefit B. Recommendations in the report also include inclusion of superannuation payments in carer payments for all parental leave, retention and expansion of the low-income superannuation tax offset, suspension of superannuation fund fees during parental leave, and a need to reduce the very high effective marginal tax rates faced by women due to the combination of taxation and withdrawal of family payments. Sally McManus spoke at the ASU Not So Super for Women launch last week. Sally is the ACTU secretary and also a member of the ASU. Here's what she had to say. I want to congratulate the ASU for their work in 
putting together this report with per capita. It's a bit of a groundbreaking report in many ways. It does some of the essential things you need to do in order to change the world. First of all, it names a problem that we all knew exists but brings a lot of clarity to it. The fact that women retire on average with 40, 47% of what the average man has puts it out starkly just how unequal our super, superannuation system is and the fact that it's failing um, women. Um, second of all, it provides a solution, a, a, a series of practical solutions of what to do about that problem. I guess my union, the ASU, has a long history of taking on big injustices for working women, right through from Edna Ryan when she was fighting for equal pay, through to ASU winning uh, the first industry-wide equal pay um, campaign and case not that long ago. Fights against, and, and in doing so, we changed the rules for women around equal pay in the social and community services industry. The campaigns against sexual harassment that started in the 1980s, that changed the rules for working women. Campaigns for paid parental leave, winning paid parental leave, even though it's not adequate at the moment, has changed the rules for working women. Winning the first DV leave at a council in Victoria and spreading that throughout uh, our workplaces, spearheading that campaign and continuing to spearhead that campa campaign today with the We Won't Wait campaign for 10 days, universal DV leave in the NES. If we win that, that will change the rules for working women. And now with superannuation, um, the groundbreaking EBA in Qantas and now putting forward a solution that will make a real difference for all. And like many campaigns, and like all successful campaigns, they have those three elements. First of all, you've got to name what the problem is and make it clear. Secondly, you've got to come up with practical solutions. And finally, then you've got to fight to win those rights. It's not enough, of course, to know what the problems are. Often we know what the problems are, but we need to have the solutions that we can all unite behind to, to, to win. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to start with a promotional story um, that uh, was advertised by Lyft. Lyft is similar to Uber, so not the same as Uber, but one of their main rivals. Um, so uh, last September, they posted the following story. Longtime Lyft driver Mary was nine months pregnant when she picked up a passenger the night of July 21st. About a week away from her due date, Mary decided to drive for a few hours, picked up a few riders, and then started having contractions. Since she was still a week away from her due date, she just assumed that they were a false alarm and decided to keep driving. As the contractions continued, Mary decided to drive to the hospital. When ping, she received another ride request en route to the hospital. Luckily, the passenger requested only a short trip, so after completing it, Mary went to the hospital where she gave birth to a daughter. And then they have like the baby and it says like Miss Little Lift or something like that. Then it's like, do you have an exciting Lift story you'd like to share? Tweet us at Lift blah blah blah. And so they had this as one of like their promotional stories, which is actually really, really messed up. If you just listen to what she's saying you saw, uh, behind her story. Um, 
because the, the only way that you could think that a story like that is good is if you think she's an uh, entrepreneur, small business owner, she's self-employed, she's making the sacrifices to make her business successful, she's not going to let anything stop her. But if you actually see her as an employee of Lyft, which she's not entitled to maternity leave, she's not entitled to health benefits, this is in the United States, she doesn't have health insurance in the best of times, let alone from her employer. So actually, each ride, which is on average $10, she actually, doesn't matter if she's having contractions or not, she's gonna try to pick up the extra $10 here or there that she can, um, because she actually needs it. Um, so I think that this story, the fact, kind of the reality behind this story, plus the fact that Lyft actually thought this was flattering to them in some way and used it as a promotional story, really says a lot about the sharing economy and what it stands for. Work harder, work faster, work more, work more intensely, um, but at the same time, we're going to tell you that it's empowering in some way. That was Julia Voice speaking at the 2017 Marxism Conference in Melbourne earlier this year, where she discussed piecework and the gig economy. Piecework is a type of employment where workers are paid per task rather than per hour. There are some well-known rideshare and food delivery companies which operate in this way. These companies go to great lengths to distance themselves from the employer-employee relationship by the language they use and the way that their workers are paid. As well as victories of collective action, every week this program brings stories about worker exploitation, underpayment, workers being locked out of their workplaces, workers being abused or assaulted at work and generally taken advantage of. This is why there are so many calls for change to the rules in this country. Wage theft has become normalised. We know that Australia's rich history of workers' rights and high living standards are being actively undermined by some employers. Today I'm joined over the phone with Daniel Victory. He is a senior associate at Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So I, I wanted to chat a bit about piecework and the gig economy. Yep. They say it's flexible work. They make it out to be some kind of revolutionary new way of work, but we say that it's yep. exploitative. How is an Uber driver different to, a, say, a taxi driver? Yeah, so um, that's an interesting sort of comparison. Um, uh, taxi drivers have actually generally... Um, uh, being considered what's called a bailey, so they just rent a taxi off someone and then that person takes a sort of cut of the fares that they receive. Um, so even taxi drivers um, haven't been held to be um, employees in the past, um, which I also think is actually very problematic, um, whereas Uber drivers um, are, are, are... Uber alleges that their drivers are independent contractors, so they're sort of running a business um, by themselves and and Uber's just sort of assisting them and, and connecting them with people who want rides. And is that the same for food delivery services like Delivery? Yeah, a little bit different with, with the food delivery services. Um, traditionally, um, food delivery um, has often been done sort of in-house. So, you know, for example your sort of pizza huts or, um, and things like that, um, they would employ a driver as an employee um, to go deliver, um, deliver food and that person would be an employee entitled to minimum wages and minimum rates of pay. Um, I suppose the shift um, with Deliveroo and, and Foodora and those sort of companies is they're saying, well, we're, we're, we're um, engaging these riders as independent contractors 
therefore they're running their own sort of food delivery service and we just engage them to, to deliver food um, and, and they're really operating their own business. Um, and we just say that that's just simply not the case and it's not borne out by um, the evidence and it's not borne out um, by um, when you speak to these, these riders about you know, what they do and whether they are running their own business. Okay, these riders, the way they get paid, they get paid through ABNs. Is that that's correct? That's right. Yeah. So, so they need to. What, um, what does that, that exclude them from, as far as the rights that other employees that would be doing similar work get if they're working under, say, a workplace agreement or an award? Yeah. So um, uh, the basic difference is this: is employees have a lot of protections under the Fair Work Act. Um, the Fair Work Act. Um, largely doesn't really cover or regulate um, independent contractors. So um, employees have a have a whole range of protections that have been built up over a hundred years about things like minimum rates of pay. Um, they've also um, entitled to unfair dismissal. Um, they're entitled to a range of award entitlements, things like minimum shift length. Um, uh, and, you know, notification of rosters and things like that. Um, a lot of employment rights that have been built up, like I said, over 100 years are all set out in awards. Now, um, if you're an, an employee, you'd be entitled to the benefit of that award. But if you're an independent contractor, you don't get the benefit of that award. The Australian Business Register, they regularly review people who've been issued with ABNs um, to check whether they're entitled. And there's been some criticism that people who are doing these jobs are not even really entitled to ABNs um, and there have been people who've been having their ABNs cancelled. And where does that leave them? Are they no longer able to work? Um, and, and whose fault is that? Does the company take any fault for that? Yeah, so look, um, I've, I have, I've heard similar reports about um, people's ABNs um, uh, being cancelled. Um, I didn't realise, you know, I'm surprised that that's actually happened because I didn't think there was that much scrutiny over um, people who, who register an ABN. But certainly um, if, and if the ABNs have been cancelled on the grounds that these riders are really employees and they're not really running their own business, they're not really independent contractors, that's certainly consistent with how I would view the situation. Um, realistically, I think the, the option for an employee would be to sort of claim to... Um, would be to make a claim to, to the food delivery company that they're actually an employee um, and that they should be paid employment entitlements. Um, uh, and, you know, arguably, if the, if the food delivery company um, says, well, we're not going to hire you anymore because you don't have an ABN, um, in some circumstances, they might be able to pursue an unfair dismissal claim. Um, now, the problem at the moment is that... Um, these food delivery companies are likely to deny that they're employees and therefore they'll say that they're not eligible to bring an unfair dismissal claim on that basis um, and there'll have to be you know, some sort of hearing about who's right and who's wrong about that. Yeah, so they do go to these great lengths to, um, to try and uh, make themselves out to... to to, to not be engaging employees, you know, it's it's not called it's not called shifts. It's called availability, and um, it's not called firing. It's called termination. Yeah, look, I mean, we have seen um, with these companies, um, you know, language um, that's employed, um, and and really, it, it appears the intent of the language 
is to try and reduce any scope to argue that these these riders are, are employees. Um, I've also heard they use the term onboarding, um, which is I think supposed to be sort of um, a substitute for sort of training and induction. Um, and and there is language uh, there is language that sort of cropped up um, that these companies employed, um, like I said, to try. Um, and make it easier for them to argue that these riders aren't really employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if you look at contracts, some of the contracts that these riders or, or some of these Uber drivers are engaged in, um, there's a sort of progression over time where it looks as if they've sort of tried to change the language more and more um, to try and reflect an independent contractor-employee um, relationship when um, in actual fact what's actually happened happening might not actually reflect that. So if they're not uh, like employees, um, then what what happens to say a rider or a driver um, when something when something unsafe happens to them at work? Um, so like I, I live in the middle of the Melbourne CBD and I step outside my house and have cyclists like whizzing past me, right? If they yep. get if they get injured, um, yep. yeah, where are they left? Yeah, so um, that's you know that's a that's a sort of tricky question um, because different states have different laws with regard to workers' compensation um, and some workers' compensation schemes um, do cover limited types of of independent contractors. Um, what you can safely say is that if you're an employee and you're injured at work, um, you can make a workers' compensation claim. Um, and you're eligible to make one. Um, if you're an independent contractor, um, that's not so certain. Only there's only um, a few independent contractors that that are actually sort of um, uh, well that are able to make workers' compensation claims, um, unless they've taken out their own sort of workers' compensation insurance. I guess as an employee, um, if they employ themselves. So um, that's. That's one point to make. I think the other the other thing and another concerning thing is one of the advance, one of one of the reasons these companies um, classify riders as independent contractors, I would imagine, is that that means that they're less likely to be held liable for any accidents or injuries or or things that go wrong um, uh, if there's a crash or some sort of accident or incident, and that's because. If you're an employer, you're automatically liable, um, you're vicariously liable for, for what your employee does. Or, um, whereas if, you're an, if someone's an independent contractor, the person who, can, who engage that contractor can sort of wash their hands of any responsibility um, if something goes wrong. Um, and so the other, you know, a good policy reason why these riders should be considered employees is so that these big companies like Deliveroo and Foodora, they have an active interest in sort of um, making the system of work safe and making sure there's not accidents and incidents um, because if they're going to be liable for them, um, they're more likely to make sure they don't occur. So um, what what's the government's role in, in being able to protect these workers in the future? Yeah, look, there's definitely a role for government um, here. Um, I think, you know, there's a broader conversation going on about the Fair Work Act and, and problems with the Fair Work Act. I think um, we need to sort of see some really wholesale 
um, and large-scale changes um, to the way we regulate work. Um, but you know, in the in the interim, um, I think there are the government should look at changing the definition of an independent contractor um, to make it harder for people to engage in what I call sham contracting arrangements. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the longer term, um, that there also needs to be thought given to providing independent contractors um, with protections and rights as well. Um, and I think the effect that that will have is it will, it will um, decrease the, um, the benefits to companies of um, engaging someone as an independent contractor or, or, or engaging in a sham contracting situation. For example, if independent contractors were entitled to unfair dismissal in the same way that employees were entitled to unfair dismissal, um, there'd be less benefit in a company saying, well, we're going to engage you as an independent contractor because we want to avoid unfair dismissal, for example. Right. What do you think um, the union movement can do? Yeah, um, so um, I think I think there's lots um, that the union movement can do. Um, you know, I think these issues of insecure work um, are really big issues, and and they manifest themselves in in lots of different ways. Um, and I think it's an issue that really needs to be addressed. I think we need to um, number one, um, uh, we need to put pressure on government um, to change policy and change legislation um, to give um, workers more job security. Um, and I also think it's about going out um, and speaking to these workers, um, telling them about the benefits of joining a union um, or um, helping them to organise um, and use their sort of collective power um, to, to get better paying conditions. Um, you know, one thing that I've said is these companies act like this system of work is, is, a, is a new system of work, but really these sort of systems of, you know, um, insecure work and going from job to job, um, that's a really sort of old system um, of exploitation that's been around for a very long time. And, and you know, unions have been successful um, at organising workers in those situations before. And, um, you know, I'm confident that the union movement can do it again. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Daniel, for talking to me today over the phone. Um, and we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Have a, have a great rest of your day. That's all for Stick Together today. Thanks for listening. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and it's broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for the show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of the show, you can give us a call on 03-9419-8377 or you can send us an email at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. My name's Sarah McKenzie. Until next time, stick together.